Blog Talk Radio. You're looking for informative educational sports radio and not the same banter for hours, same questions, same ego? Then Sports Beat, your ultimate in sports, is next as part of Mountain Metal Productions, the educational sports radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports for this Monday, the first week of October, October 2nd, Monday, 2023. Thanks so much for joining us on yet another segment of Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports. And today, our cue music once again has decided not to uh, join us, but once again, we want to bring you uh, an educational sports radio, uh, which will uh, educate the sports listener, as we always said. We're not really a talk radio. We like to educate and have you learn about things. And today we're going to be talking about uh, something that is uh, pretty interesting. It is the Hallis and Hay NFL Pioneers. And we did similar shows uh, like this before, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the league and how it became what it is. And, you know, one of the interesting things, um, John Madden, uh, when he was doing his uh, color analyzations, always said, uh, always talked about, especially when they were in Green Bay, about uh, the formation of the league and how it started. And, you know, if you've never been there, go visit uh, Lambeau Field in Green Bay, uh, you know, in a small town in Green Bay where uh, there are no owners. It's owned by the city. And he always talked about the formation of it, you know, and how uh, it came to fruition. And so that's what we really wanted to kind of discuss today, uh, the pioneers of the NFL. And so the football started, you know, really in the late, 1800s. Uh, it was even before then. It can be traced back to games in uh, New York and uh, uh, the Allegheny Football Club, which was uh, right right around Pittsburgh. But one of the interesting things about the NFL is that it probably should never have happened because in the beginning, it was a conglomeration of teams that most people didn't really care about. You know, the college game was much more uh, glitzy. It would get 50, 60, 70,000 upwards fans to be able to see uh, different colleges around the country. And when you looked at it, you know, from uh, a fan's point of view, most of the people who came to these small parks around the country um, basically brought their picnic lunches, and uh, if they had a – a hupmobile or a car in the early 20s, uh, they would ride it around uh, to the park in the roped-off area, and they would kind of, uh, you know, be amused about grown men, some of them overweight, some of them skinny as rails, certainly not uh, the the, uh, situation uh, that would have, uh, you know, athletes of today. But uh, they would mingle sometimes with the players at halftime. There were no real locker rooms, so to speak. Some of the teams did have a date and had a – an area where the players got dressed and so forth, uh, many of them would show up, uh, you know, with their uniforms on. And so the league would start 
because of two men. And one of them was more important than the other. And one of them was George Hallis, and that was, uh, he was the owner of the Chicago Bears. They were called the Decatur Staleys then. Uh, they represented a starch company. John Staley uh, found that he couldn't really support the team, so he gives Hallis $5,000 and tells him to head to Chicago, where he would be probably better off. He takes off for Chicago and finds that the Cardinals are there. And the Chicago Cardinals kind of laughed at these uh, Decatur Staley's in a way. They, they both played at Wrigley Field. And uh, the formation of the league started because of George Hallis and another man who was really more instrumental, I think, than Hallis, and that was Ralph Hay. Uh, the cigar-chomping, you know, kind of the, the epitome of what a boss would be. He owned a Hutmobile dealership in Canton, Ohio. Uh, it's no longer there, of course, but there is a marker for those of you who visit the city uh, where that Hutmobile dealership was. And the two of them invited many, many teams uh, that were around, and the ones that did come, uh, Hallis said that he put a hat down, and uh, he said that uh, for $100, you could join the league. And that was interesting because Hallis said that there, were, there was no money in the hat at the end of the day. I guess it was just word of mouth that they would join. And, and so, uh, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, the situation with uh, these particular players, it was something to uh, behold when you look at the NFL and how it started. So, you know, when the, they get together in this uh, Hupmobile dealership, and uh, before you know it, they hammer out uh, these situations where uh, they would have a commissioner, and the commissioner, it was known as the American Professional Football Association, the APFA, and there were ten teams, there were four states, all whom existed in some form of participants of regional leagues in their own respective territories, so all these teams were already playing. And then the league took the name in 1922. The NFL was the first professional football league to successfully establish a nationwide presence after several decades of failed attempts. Now, you know, in the 20s and 30s, was, uh, they took deep breaths every season because there were uh, teams would come and go, players would come and go, and the Decatur Staley's, now the Bears, and the Chicago Cardinals, founded in 1898, joined the NFL in 1920. Uh, they are the two oldest franchises in the National Football League. So the league membership gradually stabilized through 1920s and 30s as the league adopted really more progressively more formal organization. You know, they didn't have a game. They didn't have a championship game until 1933 some 13 years later. Nobody really thought to do it until they realized they could make money. And that game was played right around Christmas of 1932-33, uh, uh, where it was played in, with 25,000 paying customers at Wrigley Field. And so the NFL stopped signing black players in 1927, but reintegrated in 46 following World War II. Other changes followed after the war. The Office of League President evolved into a more powerful commissioner post. Similar move in Major League Baseball, kind of mirroring that. And the teams 
became more financially viable. The last team folding in 1952 in the league absorbing teams from the briefly more successful All-American Football Conference, and that was in 1950, only which the 49ers and the Cleveland Browns survived the present day. And by 58, when that season's NFL championship game became known as the most exciting or greatest game ever, the NFL was on its way to becoming one of the most popular sports leagues in the United States. So the rival American Football League, of course, found in 1960, it was very successful. It forced a merger with the older NFL that resulted in a greatly expanded league and the creation of the Super Bowl, which has become the watch, uh, most annually watched sporting event in the United States. And the league continued to expand to its current size, 32 teams, and a series of labor agreements during the 90s and increasingly large television contracts have helped to keep the league one of the most profitable in U.S. history. And the only major league in the United States since 1990 to avoid a work stoppage that resulted in loss of regular season games. So American football first became a professional sport in the year of 1892, for those of you who are wondering, when Pudge Heffelfinger, and Ben Donnelly each received a gigantic sum of cash to play for the Allegheny Athletic Association of the Western Pennsylvania Senior Independent Football Conference. And throughout, they both received $500, which in those days was astronomical. Uh, throughout the 1890s and the early part of the 20th century, uh, professional football was primarily a regional sport with most informal circuits centering around one state or region with only limited play outside the state lines. There were no national leagues or tournaments for the professional game, despite lots of tries. An earlier national football league, backed by what became uh, today as Major League Baseball, was unable to expand beyond Pennsylvania in the year of 1902. And the New York-based World Series of Pro Football Tournament disbanded after two seasons and a lack of fan interest. And other attempts to either combine existing circuits or create new ones from scratch never materialized. So the regional circuits had coalesced into more a few leagues of varying degrees of organization. One of the most prominent of the time was the Ohio League. And that boasted the series of legendary native athlete Jim Thorpe, among other stars. And another was the low-caliber but better-organized New York Pro Championship League. Two of the New York Circuit's best teams, the Rochester Jeffersons and the Buffalo All-Stars, went on to a barnstorming tour of Ohio in 1917. It wasn't unusual for teams to play several games, particularly when they got Red Grange. Uh, after the Jeffersons played and lost badly to Thorpe's Canton Bulldogs in a 1917 match, Jefferson's owner, Leo Lyons, he believed that the foundation of a league could build a sport that rivaled baseball, which then held an effective monopoly on professional sports and popularity. It suggested to Thorpe that a league be formed. So Lyons' vision of the National League of Existing Football Clubs, which at the time was competing with another proposed league, again backed by baseball, was cut short by the United States' entry to World War I and further hampered by the flu epidemic of 1918, which forced most of the Ohio League teams to suspend operations due to either travel restrictions or loss of players to the war effort. New York teams, although they were forced to reduce their schedules, continued and picked up many of the stars that remained statewide. A particularly important team that played in 1918 season was the Great Lakes Navy Blue Jackets football team. And that included Hall of Famers Patty Driscoll, George Hallis, the very man who helped Ralph Hayes start the uh, league, and Jimmy Conzelman, all of whom were in the armed forces together. And despite some of the being professionals, competed against college football squads and won the 1919 Rose Bowl. 
So those factors had the effect of spreading out the talent across a broader geographic area. And over the course of 1919, as professional football had increased in parity, teams had began reaching out and participating in more barnstorming tours. By then, two informal but distinct interstate circuits had developed, one around the eastern seaboard, particularly New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia, that played mostly on Saturdays due to blue laws, and others centered around the Great Lakes region, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, upstate New York, Ohio, and Wisconsin, that played on Sundays. And it was the latter that formed the basis of what would eventually become the modern National Football League. So Ohio's teams went along with the idea in the face of escalating costs. Several bidding wars in the early 1900s, both in Pennsylvania and Ohio, had damaged the sport significantly. And another bidding war was about to erupt if something wasn't done. So in 1920, in August 1920, at a Hupmobile dealership, and we just elaborated on this, the league was formed originally as the American Professional Football Conference, the APFC, initially consisting only of Ohio League teams, although some of the teams declined participation. One month later, on September 17th, the league was renamed the American Professional Football Association, adding Buffalo and Rochester from the New York League and Detroit, Hammond, a suburb of Chicago, and several other teams from nearby circuits. So the 11 founding teams initially struck an agreement over playing uh, player poaching and declaration of an end-season champion. Jim Thorpe, while still playing for the Bulldogs, was elected president. Only four of the founding teams finished the 1920 schedule, and undefeated Akron Pros claimed the first championship. If you go to the Canton, uh, Ohio's Hall of Fame, you can see uh, one of the Akron Pros' original uniforms from 1920. Uh, the membership of the league increased to 22 teams, including more of the New York teams, and in 1921, but throughout the 20s, the membership was unstable, and the league was not a major national sport. So on June 24, 1922, the organization, now headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, changed its title a final time to the National Football League. And we talked about the Cardinals and the Chicago Bears being the original, still in existence. The Packers franchise, founded in 1919, is the oldest team not to change locations, but did not begin to play until 21, so they're not original. The Giants, now known, of course, as the New York Giants, they were called the New York Football Giants then, and still today uh, broadcasters refer to them as that. They joined in 25, followed by the Portsmouth Spartans. In 1930, relocated to Detroit and became the Lions in 1934. And the heritage of the Indianapolis Colts includes several predecessors, including one of the league's founding teams, the Dayton Triangles. However, both the Colts and the NFL recognized the Colts as a separate franchise, which was founded as the Baltimore Colts in 1953, although the original NFL teams resenting Buffalo, Cleveland, Chicago, and Detroit no longer exist. Replacement franchises have since been established for those cities. So earlier championships were awarded to the team with the best one-loss record, as we alluded to earlier in the show. Initially, rather haphazardly, as some teams played more or fewer games than others or scheduled games against non-league amateur or collegiate teams, this led to the title being decided on a tiebreaker in 1921, a disputed title in 25, and the scheduling of an impromptu indoor playoff game in 1932. The lack of a firm league structure meant that numerous teams regularly were added and removed from the league each year, and a franchise owner might trade in his franchise in one city for another, as was the case with the Canton Bulldogs, Cleveland Bulldogs, and Detroit Wolverines. 
And if a larger market or more established team wanted a player on a smaller market upstart, it could buy out the team outright and fold it uh, to gain rights to that player, as the Giants did to the Wolverines in 1928 to get Benny Friedman. So the league meetings prior to the 33 season, three new teams, the Pirates, which would become the Steelers, the Cincinnati Reds and the Eagles were admitted to the NFL. Ten teams were uh, then in the NFL, and at George Preston Marshall's urging, he was the owner of the Washington Redskins, uh, with how support the NFL was recognized into an Eastern and Western division. The Eastern division was the Eagles, the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Giants, the Boston Redskins, which are now, of course, the Washington Commanders and the Pittsburgh Pirates, now the Steelers. In the West, it was the Bears, the Portsmouth Spartans, which would become the Lions, the Chicago Cardinals, the Green Bay Packers, and the Cincinnati Reds. Furthermore, the two owners convinced the league to have two division winners meet in the NFL championship game. So the first draft, the annual draft for players, was held in 1936, and the first televised NFL game was on October 22, 1939, in a game the Eagles lost 23-14 to to the host Dodgers at Ebbets Field in New York. And it was during this era, however, that the NFL became segregated. There were no black players in professional football in the United States between 33 and 45, mainly due to the influence of George Preston Marshall, who entered the league in 1932 as the owner of the Boston Braves, who, of course, would become the uh, commanders. Other NFL owners emulated Marshall's whites-only policy to mollify Southern fans, and even after the NFL's color barrier had been broken in the 50s, Marshall's Washington Redskins remained all white until forced to integrate by the Kennedy administration in 1962. Despite his bigotry, Marshall was selected as a charter member of the NFL-inspired Pro Football Hall of Fame, primarily for the numerous innovations, schedules, separate conferences and championship games that he created. He was encouraging during the time in the league. So the league would move on, of course, through the uh, 40s and 50s. And unfortunately for the league, uh, it did not go over well for about 13 or 14 years until that championship game in 1932 changed things. Because now teams had a way, uh, fans had a way of looking forward to getting to a championship game between two teams, not just uh, getting the flag for winning uh, the uh, best record in first place. Uh, the league kind of lallygagged for a while. You know, they were still playing in parks. And as we said in subsequent shows, Triangle Park, the uh, park where the first football game was played in Dayton, Ohio, uh, between the uh, Dayton Triangles and the Columbus Panhandlers. Uh, that field is still there, though. It's a baseball field now. You can walk uh, around it. It's kind of a... Uh, surreal feeling to know that, uh, you know, over 100 years ago the first game was played there. There is a marker uh, right near the baseball field that uh, designates the area. Hagemeister Park still there uh, in Green Bay where the Packers once played, the Acme Packers wearing their blue and gold, uh, the blue jerseys with Acme uh, written across the uh, – Acme Packers written across the uh, the chest – and it would go on for this way until, uh, you know, finally uh, people like George Marshall and uh, some of these other uh, people, Ralph Hay, who had a lot to say about uh, getting the league going. Uh, and then finally in 1958, 
is when, and we talked about it before, in 1958, uh, that's when football really took hold because of the championship game between the Baltimore Colts and the uh, New York Giants played uh, in December of 1958. It went into overtime, as we had said uh, previously, there were several networks then as far as uh, you know three networks CBS NBC and ABC CBS had the National Football League they had the game the game would go into overtime and uh, uh, the great Alan Amici would score uh, for the Baltimore Colts on a handoff from Unitas and thus the uh, New York Giants went down to defeat in their own home field uh, to the Baltimore Colts who would become the world champions and that game really solidified uh, the existence of football. I think in, in, in that game was responsible for the turnaround from baseball being a national sport to football overtaking it. And football now is far ahead of any of the other three sports, basketball, baseball, and hockey. And also, it also brings in more revenue than all of them combined. And then, of course, you know, you had uh, the National Football League getting stronger, and it, it took a lot of uh, attacks you know, the All-American Football Conference back in the 40s and 50s, as we mentioned before, where the great Paul Brown, coach of uh, the, the uh, well, he would, coach, he would go on to coach the Cincinnati Bengals in the National Football League. Uh, many said that that franchise was started because of him. But he would uh, become great with the Cleveland Browns, and then uh, those teams would be absorbed into the National Football League. And then we saw a whole array of, of teams that really didn't, make it toward the NFL. The 1960 uh, Lamar Hunt version of the American Football League, which I think was the probably the strongest league, and I think that league today still would be uh, valid in uh, giving the NFL trouble. You know, it was a tale of uh, two parts. 1960 to 65, uh, it struggled, it clawed its way. ABC had the franchise. NBC took over in, I think, 64, somewhere in there. And uh, they, uh, with their $36 million infusion, really gave a boost to the league. And then, of course, the signing of Joe Namath and some of the great coaches that that were there, many of them Hall of Famers, great players that were there. Uh, The Kansas City Chiefs, for instance, have a whole array of players and coaches that are in the Hall of Fame. And... uh, Tex Schramm, of course, who was a representative of the NFL, got together with Lamar Hunt, and in secret, back in as early as six, late, early of 1966, they put together uh, a document that would actually merge with the NFL. And so the AFL felt that uh, their standing and the monetary value would uh, increase for them, and they agreed to it. And of course, part of that agreement was uh, to play a Super Bowl. Uh, against each other, Super Bowl One, Super Bowl Two uh, were not called Super Bowl. It was the AFL-NFL World Championship game. And uh, that kind of solidified the NFL. And, of course, now the vestige of the AFL is the American Football Conference, which uh, has many, many teams and many quarterbacks that are far better than the NFC. You know, probably Dallas, Philadelphia, and San Francisco and the uh, – NFC are probably the only teams that are real valid for the Super Bowl, but there's an array of them and great, great quarterbacks on the uh, American 
football conference side. So, you know, the league would move on, uh, becoming uh, even more valuable. Uh, now, of course, we're talking about uh, having, and we just saw the other day, uh, Jacksonville uh, Jaguars, who have played more games in London than any other team, talking about the possibility of uh, expansion into other uh, avenues of the world. It would not surprise me within the next 10 years that we see possibly Jacksonville uh, going to the NFL. Uh, you know, Shad Khan, who owns the team, uh, has a soccer team there, and uh, there'd be nothing better for him than to move his uh, facilities to London. We've also seen teams play in uh, Mexico City with great fan interest. We've seen games played in Japan. And then last year, I believe it was, we saw the Packers, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, playing in Germany. So it is a world game now. They want to make it a world game like basketball is and like baseball has become uh, not unusual uh, to see uh, fans dressed up in uh, all kinds of jerseys in those countries. And uh, although the English don't like our NFL as much as their beloved soccer, uh, it is a close second to their soccer. And so, uh, you know, it looks like uh, that's the way the direction uh, of the National Football League is going to go. And, you know, who would have thought that in 1920 when Ralph Hay and George Hallis sat down in his Hupmobile dealership and hammered out this agreement that uh, these teams would, uh, you know, vie for a championship and, and a league and so forth. And uh, what it's become, uh, no other sport has gained that kind of popularity uh, in the history of sports. So it's been, uh, you know, an interesting uh, situation, to say the least, when you, uh, you know, when you look at uh, these uh, NFL, uh, you know, history and the men that, uh, that created it. Very interesting scenario, to say the least. So the NFL, of course, today, uh, what can you say? New stadiums going all over, uh, state-of-the-art stadiums. Uh, down in Atlanta, you know, you can shop in a, in a mall-type setting. You can get a haircut. You can get a gourmet meal. Uh, you can get a hamburger. I mean, that was, uh, you know, unheard of uh, in the uh, early days. So, you know, we'll have to see certainly where it goes and, uh, you know, the situation uh, of uh, the NFL has certainly, you know, gone far beyond what George Hallis and Ralph Hay could ever imagine. Well, I'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports, where we're talking about Ralph Hay and George Hallis, NFL pioneers. Hope all of you learned a little bit about the NFL and the history of it. Over 100 years now of football from that first game in Dayton, Ohio, between the Dayton Triangles and the Columbus Panhandlers. And also, the, you know, the history and uh, everything else that's gone with it. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio. And until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you soon.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.